Hey, everybody, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, as part of our town hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we present two Democratic candidates for the state legislature from the 26th Legislative District. Join us now for a conversation with Carrie Hesch and Joyce Stanford, recorded live on the evening of Tuesday, May 5th. Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Indivisible Town Hall. My name is Stephen Cox. I host the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. Thank you to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Unjievsky with Indivisible Tacoma. Thank you also to Jim Albrecht in Indivisible Gig Harbor and to the LD26 Democrats and the Kitsap Democrats. And especially thanks to everybody for joining us tonight. We're very excited about this. So tonight we're going to be speaking with two candidates running for state legislature in the 26th Legislative District. This includes Southeastern Kitsap Peninsula from Bremerton and Port Orchard in the north to Gig Harbor in the south. I'll give you a quick rundown of how things are going to work tonight. So we're going to have three opening questions for each of our candidates. They are designed to allow them to talk a little bit about themselves, why they're running, uh, what their plan is to win in November. And then we will move on to some general questions, which will include questions from you, uh, our viewers. Because we only have an hour and we want to get to as many questions as possible, uh, we've asked the candidates to limit their responses to two minutes, and I will be timing that on my end, and I will be prompting the candidates when it is time to wrap up their answers. And then just a quick note before we get started, I really want to stress that tonight is for you, the viewer. We are hoping that this town hall provides a forum for you to get to know these great candidates, to interact with them, to ask questions. For obvious reasons, we cannot have a live town hall tonight, so we are hoping to recreate that environment here tonight. So please, uh, as Kat mentioned, use the chat bar for your questions. We will get to as many of those as possible. So with that, let us meet our candidates. Carrie Hesch is Recreation Athletics Director at the Washington Corrections Center for Women, and she serves as an elected director on the Key Peninsula Community Services Board. She's running for representative position one. Hello, Carrie Hesch. Hello. Thank you, everybody, for being here. We're so glad that you're here. We're glad that everybody's here. And Joyce Stanford is a community outreach specialist with Shared Housing Services. She's also a substitute teacher in the Peninsula School District, and she is running for state representative in position two. Welcome to you, Joyce Stanford. Hello. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Thanks for having us, Stefan. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's start with you, Joy. Uh, let's start by having you tell us just a little bit about your background and how that has prepared you for the job of representative. Sure. Okay, for those of you who don't know, I am Joy Stanford. I'm running for House of Representatives in the 26th Legislative District. As a single mom, I was the beneficiary of a shared housing agency in San Mateo, California. After becoming a client, I was then elected to the Board of Directors for that agency. And that led me to becoming a mentor to other single moms uh, within the program. Fast forward to me marrying and moving to Washington State, uh, working for Group Health for 10 years as a Medicare sales consultant and educator, uh, helping folks navigate the Medicare world, and then becoming a substitute teacher in the Peninsula School District for students of every age group. I've lived a variety of, I have experiences, uh, lived experiences in a variety of issues, like the ability to survive on minimum wage. Um, I'm trying to find affordable daycare, uh, experiencing the lack of diversity and equity in professional settings. Also going from having no insurance to having insurance and then having to um, ration my insurance because of high co-pays and, and, and co-insurances. I'm also the child of the sandwich generation, which means I've had a young child, a teenager, and an aging parent taking care of them all at the same time. And I think Carrie and I um, have that together, <laughs> that experience together. Um, and so I feel like all these experiences have allowed me to connect with people in the community and have a closer understanding of what they've experienced and what they might be, the challenges that they might be facing right now. I have a firsthand knowledge of the resources that are available for working families, single moms, seniors. Um, and I know how to navigate um, all these challenges, which helped me become the person that I am today. And, and I wanna take that ability, I mean, at least I'm excited to take that, all my experience to um, Olympia and collaborate with other leaders there um, for the 26th uh, Legislative District. Wonderful. Joy Stanford, thank you so much for that. Carrie Hesch, let's turn to you. And now it is your turn to tell us a little bit about your background and how that has prepared you for the job of representative for the 26th Legislative District. 
Um, starting out as a, a mom, um, that really led me into wanting to um, seek out higher education as a single parent so that my children would have better, more advantages in life. Um, my uh, bachelor's degree is in health ed and communications um, from Pacific Lutheran University. And so I spent 25 years with my own business working with um, health and wellness organizations like the Puyallup Tribal Health Authority. Um, I built their wellness program um, for their diabetes program. I worked with some multi-care agencies in um, prehab to help people get ready for orthopedic surgeries and just to help people um, who were aging have a better uh, lifestyle. Um, and then after doing that for a while, I really wanted to go back to school. I started to notice that um, with the climate change, we were talking a lot about these are the things we need to do to prevent climate change, but we really weren't talking about how we're going to prepare communities. And I was really uh, focused on that. And so I decided I needed to go back to to school, I went back to University of Washington and received a master's degree in infrastructure planning and management um, with a focus on uh, building resilient communities under the impacts of climate. Um, and then at around the same, you know, it's the same time I'm, I'm working for Washington Correction Center for Women. And I decided I want to join the union. Well, my job didn't, uh, wasn't allowed to join the union at that time. So we had to fight for our right to become part of that union. I'm now a Teamster shop steward for the local 117. Um, and I love being an advocate for our working families um, and supporting um, my union brothers and sisters. My two daughters are now grown up. Um, my oldest daughter is 25 and she's a police officer for Auburn PD. Very proud of her, also a UW grad. Um, and my youngest daughter, Raina, has special needs that she was born with. So we've done a lot of work with federal and state um, programs to provide better um, services for her. Well, Carrie Hesh, thank you. And uh, I just want to say to people who are just joining us right now, welcome. Uh, we've had a number of people join since we've begun. I will let you know that we are speaking with Carrie Hesh, who is running for position one, and Joyce Stanford, who is running for position two in the 26th Legislative District. We are also happy that you are here with us tonight. Please enter your questions in the chat bar and, and join in the conversation. Uh, Carrie, let's stay with you here. Uh, let's talk about your priorities. What would be your day one agenda for the 2021 term? Well, let's just uh, start with uh, COVID and um, what we would have to do to regroup um, our public health under this public health crisis. It's really going to be what is um, on everybody's mind when we go to Olympia. Um, and I look at it as a, an, from an emergency management standpoint, which is what part of infrastructure um, and we have to look at it as an emergent scenario. And in emergent scenarios, we immediately need to uh, triage. So we're going to have to triage for our government and look at um, how we're going to stop the bleeding, how we're going to maintain um, the current programs under with less financing, how we're going to manage those programs with less finding, and what are we going to do to stabilize our government. So those are just, you know, a quick overview of what I think is important when going back the first day is looking at how we're going to regroup our government under COVID. All right. Terrific. And I will put the same question to you, Joyce Stanford. Uh, give us an idea of what your day one agenda would look like for 2021. Um, I'm going to piggyback on to Carrie. We already know we've got a public health crisis with um, not having enough resources for our um, frontline workers. So making sure that we're increasing access to services that are already in high demand, affordable access to affordable housing options, like shared housing services, making sure that shared housing services survives this COVID um, uh, pandemic, access to quality, affordable healthcare that includes mental health. Um, a lot of people are um, having issues around mental health and we already didn't have uh, access to uh, services or limited access to services. So, um, and I think also we need to make sure that we're getting people back to work and we are helping our small businesses start their own recovery. I think it's um, important to learn everyone's names because there's so many people in the house. So. <laughs> and then finding my way around the Capitol because I have gotten lost there. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's big. It's a, it's a big, and, and uh, I think <laughs> first time around, probably a little intimidating. Uh, so let's talk about your district, and Joy, we'll stay, we'll stay with you on this. Um, so as we know, the 26th is a purple district. Um, both of the current uh, representatives are Republicans, and so I'm wondering, what is your plan to win as a Democrat in the 26th? So, you know, historically, the 26 LD uh, during presidential elections, we have a higher turnout, like a 10 percent higher turnout. So I think knowing that, I think it's important that, you know, I'm talking to voters every day about what's important to them. So making sure that I have that in mind, my strategy is going to be to have a strong paid communications plan, a digital plan and getting mailers out about who I am, what I stand for. What, I'm, what my platform is going to be to those rural areas of people who don't know me and who haven't had the chance to maybe have a virtual conversation with me or a phone conversation with me. And, and also just continue to build a one-on-one rapport with folks as we're doing our calling in this during this pandemic. Everything's virtual, so it's phone calls, it's virtual parties, just making sure I stand really strong in that. So I'm super excited about that. I'm super excited about my strategy. Good. And it's obviously, it's a very challenging time right now uh, to be running a campaign. Uh, so I'll just shift back to you, Carrie Hesh, and ask you the same question. Knowing that this is a purple district, uh, what is your plan as a Democrat to win? Well, I learned a great deal um, speaking with Senator Emily Randall um, and the importance of contact with the constituents, making sure we get as much possible contact, especially in the rural communities. Um, Outreach is really important. I think a lot of our rural communities, especially Key Peninsula, the folks feel a little disenfranchised because they're just not having the opportunity to meet with candidates as much. Um, I'm hoping that we will get the opportunity to go into the community, but it will be late. Um, I'm thinking into fall, perhaps we'll get to do that. And I will definitely be focusing on um, that voter contact in the rural communities. Um, I just know from Emily that we just have to reach out to those folks. Um, I also um, am going to work with our amazing volunteer base that is coming up. And right now there are just so many people we've spoken to are super supportive of this campaign and they want to be part of it. And um, so we're getting our volunteers prepared um, to reach out to communities through phone calls and also some more possible town hall type venues. And also, um, as a union member, uh, the union labor neighbor outreach is really amazing. We have about 30,000 union members in this district. And so um, I'm really excited about having our unions involved in this campaign. Um, And also, I just think we really needed to dissolve and dismantle the walls of division that we have in this district. There's a big empathy deficit. um, And I think that's been built under the current representatives and I'm gonna work and I know Joy is too to dismantle that. Great, Uh, and I actually will have a follow-up question about that uh, later on, so uh, hold on to that. Um, I wanna uh, once again welcome everybody who has just joined us since we've begun. We're speaking with Carrie Hesch, who is running for representative in position one, and Joy Stanford in position two in the 26th legislative district. If you have questions for either of the candidates, please enter them into the chat box. And so now we will move on to some platform questions, which will include questions from listeners. And, uh, you know, Joy, you mentioned COVID and the economy, and I want to start there. Uh, Governor Inslee's phased reopening of the economy just began today. As that is happening, what do you think the state government's role is in helping residents get back to work and reviving small businesses? I want to say, I want to make sure that we are using the money the way the money is supposed to be used. We already know that some of this money was diverted to companies that should not have gotten it, but it's the main street mom and pop businesses that need it. Um, I was on social media the other day and people were like, has anybody gotten any money? You know, and these are small business owners that are just reaching out to each other, trying to figure it out. And I think that's going to be our, our, one of our most important things post COVID for my day job. We were, um, I'm on so many calls for my day job. So we were talking about what's that going to look like for folks who were teetering already on housing instability and how can we help those folks? We already know that our homeless and housing um, resources are already maxed out, but now we're going to have many more people, thousands of people maybe, that are going to be coming into that 
pool of people that's already there and how are we going to help those folks? And I just want to make sure that we are spending our money wisely. I want to make sure we've got solid footing. This is why we had a rainy day fund, people, for times like this, for this pandemic. So I think it's going to be really important to make sure our social services are, are, are beefed up as well as helping those uh, mom and pop businesses, those really true small businesses, get back on their feet. All right. Terrific. And uh, Carrie Hesch, I'll put the exact same question to you. Uh, how do you see the role of state government in helping our residents who are, are you know, really hurting uh, during this pandemic, helping residents get back to work, reviving small businesses and so forth? Um, I was really impacted by some data that was released by the um, Association of Washington Businesses. And just recently it said 93 percent of all small businesses have been impacted. Eighty three um, have lost revenue and 36% are temporarily closed to comply with the stay at home, stay healthy. Um, that is a massive amount of, of businesses. Um, I think it's really going to be imperative um, that we help out our entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are very resilient. And I think that it's important to encourage them to think about, you know, how they're gonna diversify in the future. COVID isn't gonna go away super fast. So they may have to look at how they're gonna diversify their, their business so that they have more than one way to continue to stay open. Um, public and private sectors are gonna have to work collaboratively to make sure that um, both rural and urban areas are thinking about the recovery, what it would look like, the resources that they're gonna need, um, how it's gonna happen. We're going to have to think about telecommuting as a new way of working, um, especially going forward. If the way they're talking about COVID being around for a good, you know, 16 months, um, and you know, nationally, eventually, we're going to have to look at rolling out a um, a national infrastructure plan that's going to um, help states get people back to work as well. So that we can make sure that people can start their small businesses back up with the funding they need, maybe through enhanced funding in the PPP program um, as part of that. The pandemic has also shown weaknesses in our healthcare system. Uh, it's definitely uh, exposed the, uh, the dependence uh, on employment for your insurance. Um, and I'm wondering, I'll stay with you for this question, uh, Carrie Hesch, what would you do to make sure that everybody in Washington is covered? Um, I think that we need to we need to allow people who are union members to be able to keep their union based medical, but we also need to make sure that we have available um, insurance for all of our state. And I think that that's one area we're really struggling with right now is how we're going to do that. Um, there's many options on the table. Um, we need a universal type healthcare system that's a single or multi payer system. Um, with rates for medical services and pharmaceutical drugs that are set fairly for all people. Um, and preventative care should really be a big focus. I'm a big preventative person. I don't think we focus a lot on that. We're re really reactionary in every area, especially in healthcare. So if we provide more preventative services for our community members, I think that will be really helpful in maintaining good health. You say that there are lots of ways to get to universal coverage. You have about a minute left, and I'll just ask you as a follow-up, do you have a preferred way that you would like to get there? I do not. No, not at this time. Just I need to go. We need to get to the table together and find ways to work um, in our state to provide better funding for our health care systems. Okay. Uh, Joyce Danford, the same question goes to you, um, especially in light of, uh, you know, the, the healthcare system's weaknesses uh, that have really come to light during the pandemic. I'm wondering, uh, first of all, how you see the pathway to getting everybody covered in Washington and, and really how you see the government's role in that. Just like Carrie said, we, we need a single payer system. We're on our way with the ACA. And I think we need to take that. And Washington State is one of the leaders in trying to make sure that all folks are covered and adding additional benefits like long-term care and things like that. Um, and we need to stay on that path to making sure that everyone has um, that kind of health care and, and, and access to the health care as well. Mm -hmm. I think access sometimes um, or, or a lot of times is a barrier for people. Um, Carrie says, you know, preventative. And on the other end of that spectrum, you know, 
mental health. The head is part of the body. We need to take care of the whole body. And I don't understand (laughs) why your primary care is one copay, but if you want to go to a specialist, it's another copay. And I'm like, what's going on here? How can we change this? Um, How can everybody get on the same page so that we can reduce? That's what a lot of people don't understand. If we didn't have so many people sick and unhealthy, we could reduce the amount of money we pay for healthcare, but it's offering that healthcare and putting that out to folks. So um, again, yep, we, we, there's a lot of collaboration that needs to happen there. The ACA was not created by one person. It was all folks at the table from all backgrounds, all lived experiences. Um, right now we know COVID has a, a huge effect on uh, people of color and I'm still reading through everything to try to understand that. Um, Although I believe, you know, people of color have a propensity to have um, other major uh, health issues like myself, um, type two diabetes um, and other issues. So I get it, but I don't get it. Why are we being so far affected by it? So I think it's just getting folks to the table to talk about this and then making sure we've got the information from this COVID. Okay. I'm going to shift over and talk about something that both of you have discussed uh, and touched on a little bit, and that is uh, future coronavirus outbreaks. Health experts are absolutely predicting that this is coming in waves. Uh, Joy, we'll stay with you for this. What sort of plan would you like to see in place to prepare for that? Um, I'd like to see more testing. Why aren't we all being tested? If we all were tested, then we'd have all the information Um, Contact tracing, why aren't we doing that? So we know where it is, what's happening. Um, I think we do not have the funds or resources for the PPEs. We need to make sure we've got all that gloves, masks, the big masks that are clear, everything. And specifically in the rural um, areas, we know the urban areas have a a little bit more than the rural areas, but because we're in the 26, we've got a lot of rural area out here and we've got a clinic in the key peninsula that you know we need to make sure that it's it's funded well and they have the resources that they need as far as ppes and other things testing supplies so um again this is so new and so wow we don't we can't believe this is happening that um bringing it to the table let's get the information let's get the data we are not going to be able to do anything without data so yeah, we're absolutely in uncharted territory on so many levels. Um, Carrie, I'll, I'll flip to you and uh, ask the same question, uh, because I know that you and I uh, have spoken about this as well, about uh, a contingency plan for future coronavirus outbreaks. What sort of plan would you like to see um, in place to prepare for that? So we should always be looking to the future as people who are prepared instead of reactionary like we are right now we're in a state of reaction Um, and really for um, any type of virus or bacteria going forward ppe is the ultimately the real solution and we don't have enough and we should have had enough and we knew that it was tough um And also we need to be looking um, in the future, really the epidemiological data. Um, What is our surge capacity? Meaning is our medical facilities ready for the surge capacity? Do we know that yet? That is the status of our healthcare system. The testing, contact tracing and isolation is key. And in order to do that, we need to be testing a million people a day is what they're saying. We do not have that ability right now. Once we can start doing the testing, tracing, and isolation, we can catch up with all of our counties. We've heard about this r naught number. Some of you may not. The r naught number is it determines um, um, the rate of transmission from person to person. So we know enough for only King County right now. We've only tested enough just for King County to know that our r naught number is not low enough to open the state. And so people are constantly saying, why aren't we opening all these counties? We cannot until we test every county. These are pieces we need to have in place in the future because it's, you know, we're, we're looking at a surge in the fall. It's already been discussed. And, you know, the PPE, the epidemiological, listening to the experts, following the data, and just making sure that we are prepared will help us slow down the virus in the future. 
I want to shift over and talk about climate and how this kind of fits into the picture. Um, and uh, Carrie, I know that this is particularly an area of, of study for you. Um, I think coronavirus, I think a lot of people are noticing that coronavirus has kind of shifted the conversation on the challenges around climate, what is possible in terms of the scale of a government response. Um, here in Washington, over the last two legislative sessions, we have made some strides, but there is obviously still a long way to go. Um, you have a master's degree in infrastructure planning and management, which you say that you earned in order to prepare you to lead on climate change. So as representative, give us an, a, a brief overview of some of the things that you would do to further the fight on climate change. So again, um, with climate, we're in a climate crisis. Um, change is used a lot. People are inundated with it. And the fact is, is that we all know that change is upon us. We have Jay Inslee. He's come forward with some really great plans on how to prepare our state and our country and for climate, the climate crisis. So one of the things that we're not discussing is how we prepare our communities for the rigors of climate change, how we prepare our infrastructure for the rigors of climate change. We haven't put these into place. We need to be looking at how it's going to impact our gray infrastructure, meaning our highways, road systems, our electrical, our water systems. And the fundamental pivotal piece there is how climate and COVID affect the infrastructure that's most important, which is the human facet. Human beings are infrastructure, the most important. We bring it all together. And unless we have a fundamental public health system that is strong enough and funded enough, we are going to, we will not be able to um, withstand the rigors of climate that are coming, which includes more and more viruses and bacterias and um, diseases that will ultimately um, cause severe problems with our agricultural system, which is another infrastructure system in our food. Um, so we have to go into this, not only with COVID, but with climate as preparing for those rigors. And we need to do it at a smaller level, at the community level, community public health systems. And so I've written some plans that we can um, bring our public health into um, to help them come up with ways that we can remove the silos in our infrastructure and work together to prevent and prepare. Joy, I'll put the same question to you. Uh, in, in terms of policy, were there particular strides that you uh, had an eye on that have happened over the last couple of legislative sessions? And then as representative, what would you do to further that along in terms of climate change? Um, for me, it's keeping, keep fighting for clean energy policies. So just climbing on the bandwagon with elected officials currently who are fighting the good fight like Joe Fitzgibbons um, with the ultimate goal of reducing our fossil fuel consumption to zero. And it's so interesting how COVID has made strides for us to do that and we didn't even know. Like we've seen so many things happen. Like my friends in LA are like, we see the sky and the sun is <laughs> like, Whoa! you know? So I'm like, I think that's awesome because I could not live there based on my lungs. I could not live in a community like Los Angeles or anything. I lived in the San Francisco Bay area for most of my life. Um, I've been here for 20 years, but I think that's going to be part of it. But I also think it's, um, there's a little bit of a fight there for jobs. And I want to make sure that we've got just transition for those folks who are in jobs that may be transitioned over and that they understand that we are not taking their jobs. We are training them into new jobs that will better help our, our infrastructure. Like Carrie says, she's the expert at that and, and, and our communities and our state. Um, and then ultimately everyone who lives here. So I think that's important too. We always have to think about the people that that's going to affect. And so, um, and I, and I thought of that only because I just did a questionnaire and they were asking about that. So I had to really <laughs> think about that. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, it's a concern. And, and I've talked to a couple of union folks and they're like, joy, like you need to know this is what we're worried about. And so I'm like, I get that. I totally get that. So, 
um, you know, keeping those good jobs, but they're just switching them over. So, yeah, well, so, you know, actually, uh, Carrie, I'm going to come back to you just briefly on this and I'll give you like 30 seconds to to address this because I know that you're a big union advocate. You're a union member. How do you see the 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 and, and we've had a, a, a member, uh, a listener asked that we address this as climate crisis instead of climate change. And so I will do so. Uh, crisis. Climate crisis. How do you see the climate crisis um, connecting with uh, the creation of, of new green jobs? Um, so I'm work. I'm on part of a, a committee here that's a national movement called um, Bargaining for the Common Good. It comes out of Georgetown University, and it's um, unions across the nation who are working to make sure that union uh, or that climate is part of collective bargaining agreements when they're working in organizations like, let's say, as contractors to make sure that they're not impacting communities in uh, ways that would affect community health. So it would require um, each organization to have like a worker's bill of rights. And part of that bill of rights would be, you know, to make sure that their local communities have uh, a climate as part of that. There are a few uh, follow-up questions about that, and I will just let people know that uh, we may not get to all questions tonight, but we will definitely forward the questions on along to the appropriate party so that your questions will be read ultimately. Uh, and if you are just joining us, I will once again reintroduce our guests. Uh, Carrie Hesch is running for representative in position one, Joyce Stanford running in position two in the 26th Legislative District. We are so happy that everybody is with us tonight. So I want to shift over and ask uh, a question that we have had probably the most listener questions on Washington as the most regressive tax structure in the nation. This is a very complicated <laughs> and yet very straightforward question. Uh, so, Joy, we'll start with you. How would you fight to make our tax structure fairer and more equitable for people? First of all, it's just um, looking at that structure and working on it. And you, you can't take it in one whole bite. It's going to have to be small baby steps, but we can make those strides looking at those sunset provisions that are not in place for tax tax codes that have been in place for years and years and years. Let's do that. Um, I, I'm not, it's, it's going to be interesting. We're going to be, people are going to be uh, saying that we want to tax people. And what I say is um, I don't want to tax working people. I want to tax wealth. And so it's folks paying their fair share by making sure that our tax structure isn't burdened on the people that make the, la the, the least and not people who make the most. And so if we can make that fairer, I think we'll all come out of this a whole lot better. But it's we got to sit down and we got to do the work to make that happen. Um, and sometimes that's, I, I don't think it can be done in one whole session, but we can take small bites out of that to make that happen and start looking at that, that code. Well, you have about a minute left, and so I'll just ask you about a couple things that are on the table. Capital gains tax, closing corporate loopholes. Thoughts on those? Um, closing corporate loopholes, yes. Um, <laughs> um, capital gains tax, yes, because it only affects 1% of the population in Washington state. It doesn't even affect my working families and single moms and single dads and, and, and folks who aren't making that much. So, um, yes, okay. there you go. Terrific. All right. Um, Carrie, I'll turn the same question over to you. Um, what would you do to address uh, our very, very regressive tax structure in Washington? I'm definitely looking. Need to look I like that. Closer. He said use investment. I like that. Yeah. We definitely need to look closer at the capital gains and closing the tax loopholes. Um, and also, um, we need a tax system that's going to support working families and make sure that the corporations are paying their fair share. Um, clearly that's not happening right now. There recently was an article that came out by some really big corporations in Washington state that said they were willing to look at um, having that capital gains tax. Microsoft was one of them. Starbucks was another one willing to pay their fair share. Um, so why not, why, you know, it's they're willing to do it. Let's look at doing that and do it, you know, so that everybody's paying their fair share. Um, there's a lot of ideas on the table about how to, to fix the tax system. Um, as a new candidate, I am, I find it important that I look at everything. I read all the data. I um, listen to the people who've been working on the system for a long time and make sure that I have 
um, a good, robust understanding of where we are and where we need to be before I make like put my stamp on it and say this is what we're going to do. So um, I am still learning as much as I can about it and plan to make the best decisions for our communities. All right, terrific. I will stay with you for a moment because we've had some uh, questions specifically about the 26th, uh, and I would like to start with a question about the way that growth and development have been handled in Gig Harbor. Um, there, It's contentious because uh, a lot of people feel that it is overburdening infrastructure, schools, the environment. I'm wondering how you would address that issue. Well, I, I like to look at how our planning um, system is um, allowing this type of um, building to occur and how much the community really knows about it before these um, like planned communities are going in. How, you know, we're removing so many trees in our area. And when we remove trees like that, we set ourselves up for slides when we have massive rain and there's nothing to hold the soil in place. Are they looking, is there any environmental impact um, statements being done around that. Um, we need to be asking more questions when um, companies want to come in and build and make sure that they're required to invest in the infrastructure and make sure that it's not going to affect our community health. As you can see, we're sitting in traffic so much more because so many more people are moving here um, and we're not investing um, in any of our um, transportation to support that. So definitely need to look at how we're planning, why we're planning the way we're doing it, and making sure that community members have a better say in how that's being done. Um, I don't think that's occurring right now. We do have a listener question about public transportation, but I'm going to try to fold that into uh, a question down the line because uh, I don't want to get too off track here before we go back to Joy on the same question. Uh, I would love for you to talk about the way that growth and development are being handled in Gig Harbor uh, in a way that is uh, creating so much stress on, on the infrastructure, schools, and the environment, and specifically to get thoughts on how you would address that, Joy. Um, I don't think that we are sufficiently collecting the impact fees that um, we place on the developers to have those funds for our infrastructure. And so as a constituent of the 26, I, I'm like, Carrie, we need to ask those questions. Of, are they paying those um, so that the surrounding area um, can be built up to support the families that are coming in we know we've, we're starting to build up for our school system, our educational system, but are we building for, like Carrie mentioned, transportation? Um, are we building for human services? We don't have a lot of services on this side of the bridge. For mm -hmm. folks who need services, a, a lot of their services they have to go uh, into Tacoma for because this is Pierce County right here. Um, and so I think that that's gonna be um, really important. And then the housing that's being built, is it affordable housing? Are you taking 10, 15, 20% of the housing that you're building and making it affordable for families who want home ownership? I think that's important too. So um, are we working closely with the city of Gig Harbor as we are thinking about um, this, we've got a huge development going in over by uh, Costco and um, the new school being built and the new um, soccer complex being built over there. There's a huge development going in and it's behind, it sits against a two lane road. And I'm thinking, how many houses are going in there? Where are all those people gonna go? Because the traffic's gonna get worse on that back end coming out of Gig Harbor from that way to hit the freeway. And again, we're already sitting in traffic. So how can we make that better? And how can we um, start to think about that prior to us building? I, uh, I, I appreciate that answer, and I will just, uh, with, without uh, following up too much, I just want to mention a comment that we had uh, from Barb. She says, one issue in Gig Harbor with overdevelopment and COVID-19 is that physical distancing will be almost impossible in the schools, leading to double shifting in the fall. So that is something else to, uh, to, to throw into the discussion there. I want to shift over and talk about the Key Peninsula. There are issues of iniquity and access in the Key Peninsula, particularly as concerns, uh, uh, well, there are a number of areas, but I would like to uh, 
restrict our conversation to broadband access and education and how those two things are related. Um, and Carrie, let's start with you because I know that you lived uh, on the Key Peninsula for a number of years. How would you help residents get equal access to those same sorts of services as the rest of the district? So I lived in Long Branch for eight years and um, I can say, you know, broadband is a huge issue, especially now um, under this uh, public health crisis. It's the only way people are able to communicate with the outside world other than the phone call and to get their information and interact with their family members. Um, if, and I personally think that broadband should be available to everybody. It should become a state um, something that the state works on for all people. And it shouldn't be um, the responsibility of, the, of a small rural community that can't afford it, but absolutely needs it. It's something that we need to look at at the, the state level to make sure it's available for all of our communities. Uh, Joy, I'll put the same question to you with a little bit of a spin on it. Um, I've heard people discussing uh, making broadband internet access a utility. Um, do you think that's uh, reasonable and would that help to mitigate some of the inequity and access issues in the Key Peninsula? For my babies, and I call my kids my babies out there, absolutely. They need to have the resources available to them to do distance learning, and they don't have that. So absolutely, I think broadband should be a utility or it should just be there for everyone to use, period. Um, there is this kind of them and us, like you said, um, issue, especially in the kids, the kids that I've talked to from there, from high school to junior high. And um, they are they know there is an inequity. They don't know what it's called, but they know it's an inequity. Um, but they speak to it often. And so um, I think with this COVID-19, um, we have um, sh shown a light on um, the difference between those of us that have it and those of us that don't have it. Yeah, we have buses going out there that are trying to bring that to those kids. And I'm super excited about that. But what can we do sitting down with the um, providers, the internet providers, the folks, you know, the, the Pierce County public work folks, how can we get this out there to those people? And, and same within Kitsaps. I, I don't know how far out in Kitsap we've got it. So I think it's going to be vitally important for us to make sure we're having those discussions as elected officials with those folks out there. And from the people that I've been on the phone with that I've called that are live out there, they said, no one comes and asks us our opinion. And I'm like, well, you do live kind of far. And then one lady said, then just mail me a survey or something so that I can give my feedback. And, and I was like, I like that. At least she had a solution. So um, I think it's going to be really important for us, again, as elected officials, to solicit those ideas and those solutions from the stakeholders that it's going to affect. Well, another uh, couple of aspects that, well, certainly we've had a number of listener questions about this, but they are sort of folded into these access questions, and that has to do with infrastructure and transportation. Um, we know that Pierce and Kitsap counties get less, far less uh, than King County in funding for infrastructure and transportation. Uh, Joy, uh, we'll stick with you. How would you work to ensure more money for the 26th, first and foremost, and how would you like to see it spent? Uh, well, I don't how I, how how would I ensure that we get it is just being bold and being um, somewhat uh, out there with asking for it and making sure that we're fighting for it and championing for it. Um, how would I like to see it spent? Can we finish this study on 302? We've got um, kids walking on that 302 highway and being killed. And I'd like to see the study finished so that we know exactly how much money we need to make it safe for drivers, pedestrians, kids, families. Um, there's a barely a shoulder for folks that want to enjoy the water side out there going out to the Key Peninsula. That's going to be important for folks out there. And I think if we start prioritizing some of that and, and really collaborating and thinking about that um, with the folks in Olympia, um, I think we can, we can, make, we can get this done. Um, that's how I'd like to see it. And I'd also like to see, why don't we have a carpool lane? Why are we all sitting on 16? I mean, I spent um, almost five years driving from um, Gig Harbor to Seattle, three hours to work, three hours home. So I know what traffic is all about. And so what surprised me though, was once I got off the bridge, I was sitting in traffic. 
And so that is, what, what are we doing? Why don't we have a carpool lane there? Um, and how can we make that happen? Um, we've got to um, make our district a priority and we've got to fight for it. And sometimes you have to be bold and you have to be loud and you have to ask the right questions and the right people um, and work with the right people to, make, to get it done. Uh, I will turn the same question over to you, Carrie, and I don't want to lead you too much, but we have talked about the crisis of bridges in your district, um, and this is something that certainly would require uh, money for the 26th. So I, I will just ask you, how would you ensure mon- uh, money gets to the 26th? And then if you could, I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about uh, some of the bridges infrastructure in your district. Um. So first of all, I just want to say that um, my opponent is on the transportation committee, but hasn't done any type of work uh, to support any of our transportation issues, especially in Gore, in the Gorsk area and in Bremerton. Um, and those are a couple areas that I would definitely be focusing on to um, help alleviate some of the traffic problems and the death toll that, that people are experiencing in those areas. Um, most of our bridges in Washington state have been deemed unsafe. And that was um, something that was looked at almost five years ago in a study. And we're still not focusing on how we're gonna make those safe. And there's been reports from states who have not fixed their bridge infrastructure and ended up having a collapse and ended up paying three times as much in legal costs and loss of life instead of fixing the infrastructure. We're not taking that seriously. We need to be taking human life seriously on the road in our district. And that's something that I would be bringing front and center. Um, Something that people um, aren't talking about and how we would pay for some of our transportation is looking at what they call P3 management, um, which is public-private partnerships. Um, Some of those have been... um, That happened with the Bertha project. The tunnel project in Seattle was a P3 management project. It was very successful. Um, We haven't looked at it or talked about it at all as a a way to uh, um, upgrade our infrastructure, transportation infrastructure, our bridge infrastructure in this district. I know there's issues with it, but I also know that um, it's been very successful in other states and um, a great way to um, increase safety and um, be fiscally responsible. We have just uh, over 10 minutes left, and I want to make sure that we get to a number of listener questions, um, and and some of these may uh, be shorter uh, answers than others, but I do want to kind of get through some of these because we, we really had some wonderful uh, question submissions. Jane asks about uh, the assault weapons ban that was supported by Attorney General Bob Ferguson, uh, also restricted uh, high capacity and also restrictions on high capacity magazines. Um, these did not pass during the 2020 legislative session. Um, and Joy, I will ask you, um, would you support both proposals if they were submitted in the coming session as a bill or as an initiative sponsored by the Alliance for Gun Responsibility? Let me preface this by saying, I don't want your guns. There are some great responsible gun owners out there. However, do we need that type of weaponry when we're hunting? And so, yes, I would support banning those things. Um, because I don't want them to be in the hands of folks that don't need them or or should not have them. And so I'm about responsible gun ownership, not um, just willy-nilly, you know. I, I'm more worried about my DV folks who are um, trying to escape someone who and who might possibly get their hands on. I, I believe you mean domestic violence. Yes, sorry, yes, domestic violence survivors. And so that's important to me. So yeah, I would support that, to ban that. Okay, Carrie, same question to you. Assault weapons ban restrictions on high capacity magazines. Would you support those uh, either as a bill or as an initiative sponsored by the Alliance for Gun Responsibility? Yes, um, I absolutely would. Um, As a person who works in a law enforcement field and working with incarcerated people who've been um, impacted by gun violence, um, and my daughter, you know, in, works in law enforcement and faces gun violence on a daily basis. Um, these weapons are unnecessary. And like Joy said, you know, we're not taking the guns away from a hunter. You don't need that many rounds to shoot a deer. If you do, then you need to work on your marksmanship. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And my grandfather was a game warden for 35 years and he was, would have said the same thing. So um, absolutely. Stacy asks, uh, as of 2020, older adults are the fastest growing demographic in Kitsap. Uh, Carrie, where do their needs rank on your priority list? Our seniors are the most important uh, demographic in my mind because they carry our history um, and they are our teachers and we need to make sure that they're taken care of. They need to, we need to make sure they have all of the health care that they have, the housing they have, enough food, the transportation to get to their medical facilities and any other appointments they may have. Um, as a person who worked with the Native American culture, um, I believe um, our elders are our most important and sacred of our communities. Same question to you, Joy. Where uh, would seniors rank on your uh, needs, on your priority list? I would say ditto. And here's the deal. I spent 14 years as a small business manager and working for group health, doing Medicare education and consulting. Come on. These are the folks that know the deal. They are the smartest folks we've got. And like Carrie said, they've got the history in their brain. We need to hear from them. We do not want to repeat history, so we need to be listening to them. And so ranks right up there for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm in the midst of helping one young lady right now, and I call her a young lady even though she's 59, um, but she's only four years older than me, who doesn't have a place to live. So it's my job. I'm like, it's my job to help her find someplace to live. So, um, yeah, uh, this, is, this is where we are. It's who I am. Um, and, um, just recently we asked Dave's mom to come live with us. Um, and now we're having to convince her to come live with us because she doesn't really want to give up on her independence. So, um, I'm, I'm all about the seniors. Transitioning from our oldest generation to uh, our youngest, uh, I'm glad that we do have a couple minutes to talk about education. Uh, so for the first time since 2003, the Peninsula School District had to pass a school bond. I will ask you, Joy, because this is obviously in your wheelhouse. How would you, and, you, and I should mention, you sit on the board of Washington's Paramount Duty. Uh, how would you like to see education funded in the state? Um, well, first of all, I'd like to spread it around. Okay, and not cut any more money from it. And we know we're going into a session. I've had elected officials that I've, I've talked to because I'm, you know, I'm asking advice on different issues, and they're already saying, "Joy, we're going into 2021 session with, with budget, and we're going to need to work on that, and it's it's going to be tough." Right. Um, but I am going to be very outspoken about our education system and trying to keep it in place, and then focusing with a lens on equity and focusing with a lens on wraparound services. We need those social workers in our school. We need those counselors in our school. Um, we need that emotional support for our kids and our families. We're not focusing on the families. If the family doesn't know where the resources are in our community to get when they need it, we are not doing our job. And so um, spreading that money around so that we, we don't cut, 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 um, I, I hate to say, is music going to be cut? Is art going to be cut? Those kids need those programs, unfortunately, because that's where they are. Not everybody plays football and soccer like my kid. Some kids are musically inclined. Some kids want to do the debate team. I mean, there's just a variety of things that I really hope we stay away from the educational system. The uh, musician slash theater kid uh, in me is nodding vigorously at what you're saying there. I'm, 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 a, I'm a mom. <laughs> I was a stage mom, and I was not very good at it. We I'm won't sure talk about you were that. great, Joy. Uh, Carrie, I will put the same question to you. Uh, how would you like to see education funding structured here in the state? Um, when I earlier talked about um, when we go back to Olympia in 2021 and um, we have to triage, we need to make sure that um, education is put at the top of the list to make sure we are not cutting any funding to, to our schools. Um, our children have been pulled out of school and um, that's impacted families and it's impacted children in ways we can't even fathom. Um, for some kids, that's their only place they get their meal. That's their way to get away from if they're in a, not in a good home situation. We need to make sure that schools are available and open and funded. Um, as a parent with a special needs child, I know that it was our, my daughter's teachers 
who were there for us if we were going through a difficult situation. Um, they went above and beyond to make sure that um, I had food as a single parent. Do you have enough food? Do you, is there any services we can get for you? Do you have daycare so you can work? They were the That's ones right. who helped. We, and our school systems are part of our um, families and we need to look at them as an extended family. And so that will be a, a, one of my top priorities is to make sure when we triage our uh, funding back in Olympia, that schools will be first and foremost protected. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I'm just going to uh, ask a quick follow-up with you uh, because you mentioned on your campaign site, Carrie, that you have a daughter with special needs. Uh, as we know, the McClure ruling did not provide for special education. And I would love for you to speak a little bit uh, to how you would secure that funding. Well, we're going to have to start looking at special education and regular education as the as, um, we need to make sure that across the board that they're funded the same. And one of the ways we need to do that is start opening up our special education to be more mainstream. So that, that started when my daughter was in high school where she was able to participate in some of the regular ed classrooms instead of being separated. And I think that that's better for everyone. It's better for the special needs child. It's better for the educators. It's better for the regular ed students because it's important that we learn to work together no matter where we are as a human being. And so instead of separating so much, we need to start doing more of that integration, the equity piece like Joy was talking about. Um, and our teachers who have the special ed um, certifications I lift them up because they really um, have to put in so much extra work, not only as an educator, but as like a care provider for some of our students who are severe, severely disabled. So I think that there's ways to work with Department of Social and Health Services and bridge with education to make sure funding is available. And I want to explore that. Well, this has just been tremendous. Um, I want to thank uh, both of you uh, for your incredible passion and your thoughtful answers. And I will just, uh, we're just about out of time. We're like one minute left. And so I would love to give each of you one minute to uh, just kind of wrap things up, tell people where they can learn more about your campaigns and what specific needs you might have. Uh, Carrie, we'll, we'll start with you. Um, so as a first time candidate, um, can campaigning under COVID um, has been really, you know, interesting. I, I don't know what it was like before for other people because I've never campaigned before. So um, what is most important is just um, if I call you, um, if you call, if I get, leave my number, feel free to call back, email me if you have questions. Um, if you would like to volunteer, we need volunteers because they are going to be our uh, meat and potatoes for our campaigns to get out and meet people through the phone and through Zoom. Um, you can go to carryhesh.com and you can read all about our campaign, sign up for updates, um, also to donate there. It's very difficult to fundraise right now, so we really appreciate anything people can give. I know that's difficult. Even if you want to just give of your time by volunteering, we appreciate it. And um, I just want all of the people to know how grateful I am and honored to be running as your representative um, the 26th. Joy Stanford, you get the last word tonight. Uh, tell us about where people can learn more about your campaign and what specific needs you might have. Thank you, everybody. Um, I am humbled to um, even be still here and doing this again for you. Um, I would love it if folks would volunteer. Um, a lot of times you're doing it for both of us, uh, both Carrie and I. So um, get out. Um, we've got some virtual phone banking coming up. Uh, do it from the comfort of your own home. Although we'll all be on Zoom together, muted, um, doing a couple hours of phone banking. I think that's the, like, the most fun anyone can have on a Sunday or a Wednesday. So um, get involved. Um, my website is joy4washington. That's J-O-Y-F-O-R-Washington.com. Um, I would love to hear from you. Um, and again, we cannot do this without you. Um, Large or small, any investment in our campaigns is greatly appreciated. Um, right now, I'm trying to get more of those signs so that I could link it this district with them. Um, <laughs> I don't think I had enough signs last year. And someone said signs don't vote. But you know what? It keeps your name in people's head. So 
That's what I'm trying to invest in right now and my digital uh, plan um, as well. Um, Just keeping my name out there. If you see my number, don't ignore it. Just pick up and say, Joy, you've got my support. Um, And then tell me who I can call in your friend circle or even have a virtual um, house party for me. I'd love that. So um, I look forward to at least talking to you guys and hugging every single all 52 people who are on this call, give me a big old hug because I'm a people person and I like to hug. So that's what I miss most, but thank you. Thank you again to our candidates, Carrie Hesch and Joy Stanford. Also, thanks to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Andrzejewski with Indivisible Tacoma. And special thanks to Jim Albrecht of Gig Harbor Indivisible. A reminder to join us on Tuesday, May 12th. We will be speaking with candidates running for state representative in the 19th Legislative District. And that is it for today's show. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc., and part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at DemcastUSA.com. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.